Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Greetings to those who watch below. Before I start today's video, I'd like to apologize for the lack of videos over the last couple of days. Um, unfortunately, I've been quite ill and have mainly been in bed, which is not fun when you're also moving house at the same time. But carrying on, thank you to Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, M.A. Way, Julie B, Jess Black Curtain, Christina Groves, and Matthew Colgan for being those who dwell below. An exclusive channel membership that gives you shoutouts at the start of every video. If you'd like to check it out, make sure to look at the link in the description box. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel, making sure you hit the notification bell so that you never miss a video. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. The Spirits of Cold Harbor by Will 1974. Virginia is full of history, especially that of the especially that of the Civil War. One of the most bloody battles was called Cold Harbor, located in Mechanicsville. Cold Harbor Battlefield is where one of American history's bloodiest and most lopsided battles occurred. It was part of Union General Ulysses S. Grant's Overland Campaign, also known as the Wilderness Campaign. Though this strategic operation included many raids and skirmishes, the battle at Cold Harbor was particularly disastrous and grisly. Grant himself would later reflect, Cold Harbor is, I think, the only battle I ever thought that I would not fight over again under the circumstances. I always regretted that the last assault at Cold Harbor was ever made. A priest who was at the battle, Winthrop Phelps, confirms, You cannot conceive the horror and awfulness of a battle. I never wish to hear another, much less see it. I went out to see this, but found myself in such danger, I soon fled. Pray for me. I cannot write. I am not in a fit state of mind. June 3rd was an especially devastating day. In under an hour, around 7,000 of Grant's men were slaughtered. On a blood-stained diary entry, one Union soldier wrote, June 3rd, Cold Harbor. I was killed. My reenacting unit used to do living history at Cold Harbor very frequently. We were allowed to camp over by the Garth Wright house, and when people would stop by, they'd ask questions about us, Cold Harbor, and questions in general about the war. One particular night, ten of us had laid down for the evening. It was a full moon, and chilly. I was awoken by the sound of clanking, sort of like the sound of a tin cup banging on a canteen, or a haversack buckle. 
I had to use the bathroom anyway, so I went to see what I could find. I walked back the gravel path about 40 feet, and the sounds got louder and louder. I could then faintly see a campfire, and what seemed to be two reenactors sitting around it. I thought it was odd, due to the fact that the campfires aren't allowed on federal property. I walked closer. I noticed that the two men were talking, and were drinking from their tin cups. They were Union soldiers, and had their muskets stacked together. Both men were sitting on crates. I walked closer and called out, Hey there! No response. I called out again, Hello? Both men stopped what they were doing. They then turned and looked at me. They stared at me in a strange way, like I have never been before. I then saw something I wish I'd never seen. The men were wax-like, white pale skin, and their eyes seemed hollow, as if there were no eyes. One of the men stood up and then pointed at me. The other turned, and half of his face was shot away, like he'd been hit by a shell and his face had exploded. I turned and ran so fast, I almost tripped. I woke my fellow reenactors up, and told them they had to come and see what I had experienced. They reluctantly came with me, and I guided them to the site where I had seen the man. I was rambling like a madman trying to explain the whole story as fast as I could. When we arrived, nothing. No sign of a fire, no men, or anything. Most of the guys thought it was a joke and went back to camp. My sergeant Bill, believe me, he said, I've been coming here for many years, Natalia. I've seen some strange things too. I reluctantly stayed the night, but didn't get a wink of sleep. The next morning, I went to where I saw the two spectres, and there was nothing there. If you ever go to the Garthright house, walk the path to the left in the visitor area. Maybe you will see the two Union soldiers still stuck in purgatory. The Bunny Man Often with urban legends, there's the story and there's the truth. What makes the tale of Fairfax County's Bunny Man so eerie, so bizarre and so downright creepy, is that while there are several variations of the urban legend of the Bunny Man and the Bunny Man Bridge, the truth may actually be weirder. For four decades, the legend of the Bunny Man has captivated Northern Virginia fear seekers and turned up in a 1973 University of Maryland undergrads class paper. It has been told and retold by local teens for years. While the legend has evolved and changed through the years, it follows this basic premise. In the early 20th century, deep in the woods that divided the town of Clifton from Fairfax Station, there was an asylum for the insane. At some point, the asylum closed, and the residents were piled into a bus bound for Lawton Prison. On the way there, the bus swerved and crashed. Many of the convicts escaped, but were all caught, apart from one, Douglas Griffin. While searching for him, authorities found a trail of half-eaten, gutted bunnies, with many hanging from what was then called Fairfax Station Bridge. For months, the police searched for Griffin, but he was never found. Then on Halloween night, several teens were hanging out under the bridge. At the stroke of midnight, they were attacked. The next morning, they were found hanging from the bridge, gutted like bunnies. To this day, it's said that if you are at Bunnyman Bridge at midnight on Halloween, you too will meet the fate of those teens and rabbits. That's the legend. However, due to a constant trickle of Bunnyman questions, 
Fairfax archivist Brian Conley's interest in the story was piqued, so after nearly a decade of research, in 2002 he published a paper on the actual truth of Bunnyman Bridge. On October 18, 1970, the Washington Post reported that Air Force Academy cadet Robert Bennett and his fiancée were sitting in a car on the 5400 block of Guinea Road in Fairfax around midnight, near Bennett's uncle's house, when a man dressed in a white suit with long bunny ears appeared. He yelled at the couple that they were on private property, and he had their tag number. Then he threw a wood-handled hatchet through the front car window. Luckily, neither of them were hurt. Two weeks later, the bunny man showed up again, about a block away from his original sighting, according to an October 31st Washington Post article. Private security guard Paul Phillips spotted the man-beast on the front porch of a new but unoccupied house. He was holding an axe. In the piece, Phillips recounted what happened next. I started talking to him, and that's when he started chopping, taking several swings at a pole on the porch. He threatened Phillips. All you people trespass around here. If you don't get out of here, I'm going to bust you on the head. During his research, Conley tracked down the police and investigation reports that confirmed that the Fairfax County Police looked for a male in his late teens to early twenties dressed as a bunny, but the police were unable to turn up anything conclusive, writing, After a very intensive investigation into this, and all other cases of the same nature, it is still unsubstantiated as to whether or not there really is a white rabbit. The police deemed the case inactive. Conley was able to track down the still-married couple that had the hatchet thrown at them. While they didn't particularly want to talk about the incident, they did confirm it happened. They shared vivid details, Conley says, as did the aunt who helped them after the incident. She remembered very clearly combing glass from the shattered glass window out of this girl's hair. To this day, no one knows who the bunny man was or what motivated him. Conley knows that any theory he has is pure speculation, but he thinks it could be related to an elderly man, a curmudgeon, he says, who owned the property that the couple was supposedly trespassing on. Although the man had died a year or two earlier, maybe a young family member took up his cause. Perhaps it was just a person who didn't like the development in the region going on at the time. Additionally, if the bunny man was in his early 20s in 1970, then he likely would still be alive today, unless he got careless with his hatchet. As of this time, nobody has come forward and admitted to being the notorious bunny man. Today, the story of the bunny man has overtaken the actual truth. There was no murder, no asylum for the insane, and not even a bridge. Conley thinks that Fairfax Station Bridge, which Google Maps now even calls Bunny Man Bridge, was nothing more than a nearby local teen party spot, and a creepy-looking bridge that got incorporated into the story. Even though the town of Clifton has fully embraced the legend, with t-shirts and a haunted Halloween attraction. While this legend may be more horrific, frightening and blood-curdling, the truth of the Bunny Man is just as bizarre.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dead Pilot by Moose Guy I was a long-haul trucker for many years. In December of 2004, I had a delivery in Winchester, Virginia, and a second stop in Washington, D.C. At my first stop, I was delayed and didn't get unloaded until after 2 a.m. I left Winchester heading east on Highway 7. Around 2.30, I came to the intersection of Highway 7 and Route 601 near Bluemont. At a gas station, I pulled in to check my map of Washington, in anticipation of my delivery. The station was closed at that hour, there was virtually no traffic going by, and it was a cold, moonless night. While I was sitting there, someone knocked on my door, startling me. I jumped and turned off my interior light, so I could see outside, and rolled down my window. A man was there, in an airline flight crew uniform. He had four stripes on his shoulder epaulets, indicating a captain. He was without a jacket on a very cold morning. He climbed up onto the step of my cab. He smelled like he had bathed in kerosene. When he got to my face, I could see that his cap had the TWA insignia on it. Could you give me a lift? He asked in a voice that seemed raspy. I assumed it was from the cold. I was really taken off guard. It was odd. I was in a dark, rural area on a freezing night, being asked by an airplane pilot wearing short sleeves for a ride. I asked him where he was headed. I work for TWA. I gotta get to Dool's to work a flight. Please give me a ride. I'll pay you. He responded. Well, how about I give you a ride to the next open store, where you can call a cab? I offered. Okay, thank you, thank you, he mumbled. He said that we could descend. I didn't know what he was talking about, but I didn't want the guy to freeze out there. Go round and get in, I instructed. He climbed down and shuffled around the front of the truck. When he passed the first light, I was struck by the fact that he seemed to have long sideburns, a la Elvis. When he continued on to the right, he totally vanished. I don't mean faded away, he just ceased to exist. I jumped down after the truck and looked all around with a flashlight, even under the truck. He had just disappeared. As I continued on toward Washington, I remembered something odd. TWA had gone out of business over two years ago. What was going on, I wondered, totally perplexed and shaken by the experience. When I got home, I did some online research. What I found has totally turned my belief system upside down. I've always thought that ghost stories were hokum, but with what I learned, I'm no longer sure. It turns out, that on December 1st, 1974, a TWA Boeing 727, Flight 514, descended prematurely through a low cloud deck and slammed into a rocky outcropping on Mount Weather, Virginia. The aircraft disintegrated, with all 92 people on board killed. The flight had originated in Columbus, Ohio, and was supposed to land at Washington National Airport. It was diverted to Washington's other airport, Duels International because high winds had closed national. 
According to cockpit voice and flight data recordings, the crew mistakenly believed that air traffic controllers had cleared them to descend to 1,800 feet from their previous altitude fix of 7,000 feet. This error, combined with strong downdrafts, caused the airplane to hit the mountain at 1,670 feet above sea level. At the last second, they broke out of the overcast, only to see the rocky and snow-covered mountain looming in their windscreen. The captain's last words to his co-pilot were, Get some power on! Just moments before the recording abruptly ceased. The place of impact was less than a mile south of where I encountered whoever, or whatever it was that I saw, almost exactly 30 years later. I don't want to definitely say it was a ghost, but the fact remains that there was somebody who appeared to be an airline pilot with a very dated hairstyle, wearing a uniform of a defunct business. Haunted Tunnel by Cash 81 I lived in Virginia for several years as a child and teenager. Growing up in a semi-rural area, I heard many hate stories from family and friends, some of them revolving around Sensible Tunnel. The paranormal has always interested me because I started having ghostly experiences at a young age, and of course, as soon as I got the chance to check out the tunnel myself, I did. Sensible Tunnel is nestled between two mountains in Hawkins County. It stands almost at the end of a long and narrow winding road. Houses are few and far between on the road, but there is a house at either end of the tunnel, one of which was coined the Sensible Mansion. Across the road from this mansion is a small cemetery that I believe to be a family burial place. There is a creek that runs on one side of the tunnel, and now unused train tracks that lay on top of the tunnel. My most hair-raising experience there happened when I was 14. It was winter, and all of the schools in the area had been dismissed early because of snow. My boyfriend Jake and his friend Opie picked my best friend Tonya and I up from school. We went to my house for a while, but being teenagers, we were soon bored. So, as soon as the sun set, we went down to venture out to the tunnel. Opie had never been, and Jake had only ever been once. We all piled into Opie's truck, which was a small ranger-type truck with bucket seats. Opie drove, Tonya sat in between the bucket seats, and I sat in Jake's lap on the passenger side. When we got to the tunnel, there was about half a foot of water standing in the middle of it, due to snow that had melted from an earlier snowstorm. We pulled into the middle of the tunnel, and Opie turned the truck and lights off. We sat there for a few minutes, joking about the ghosts. Perhaps this was a mistake, because it wasn't long before strange things started happening. The other three in the truck were talking, when I noticed that something was dripping from the inside rearview mirror of the truck. I wiped it with my finger, and noticed it was the consistency of water. I pointed this out to everyone else, and Opie said, That's never happened before. Tonya thought it may have been condensation, but Jake pointed out that the windows weren't fogged over. Then we heard footsteps in the water. It sounded like someone was walking up behind the truck. We all heard it, and we all turned to look at the same time. We saw nothing. Jake rolled down his window and stuck his head out, looking down the bed of the truck to the back, and Opie did the same on his side. Neither of them saw anything. I remember them both rolling their windows back up, and Jake looking at me saying, that was weird. I will never forget the look in his eyes. He was definitely getting scared. I replied, yeah, that was weird. 
Tanya requested we leave, but the rest of us weren't ready. Then something hit the truck hard, hard enough that it rocked the entire truck. It sounded like it came from Jake's side on the truck bed. Tanya and I screamed, and the boys came close to screaming. It was then that a white translucent figure appeared in front of us at a distance of about ten feet. It appeared to me as if it were a woman in a long flowing dress, and she was getting closer, ever so slowly. It was at this point that Opie said, it's time to go, and started the truck, and we drove back to my house. When we pulled into my driveway, we all poured ourselves out of Opie's cramped truck. Jake says that he wanted to know what hit the truck. He and Opie began looking at the truck to see if there was any damage, or sign that something had hit it. They found what they were looking for, in the form of a handprint, longer and wider than any of ours. We all placed our hands in the print. It was much larger than ours, at least three inches longer than the boys. Five-Bed House with Cheap Rent by Jenis Demenis Back when I was a young, broke college student, a friend and I thought we had stumbled upon the deal of a lifetime, a huge five-bedroom house with two bathrooms for dirt-cheap rent. The house was in a kind of out-of-the-way place in Virginia, but it suited our needs and the rent was unbelievably cheap. Let me preface this by saying that in the Commonwealth of Virginia, there are no disclosure laws in real estate, meaning that the buyer or renter is not entitled to know the history of the house before signing that dotted line. Within a month of moving into the house, odd things began happening. The electricity didn't work very well. At first we attributed this to the fact that the house was very old, built in the 1900s, and the most recent rewiring of the house had been done in the 50s. Also, the main breaker for the house was located outside in a barn that stood about 20 yards from the house itself, and was connected by several crude-looking overhead wires. When the breakers tripped, which was at least four times a week, we'd have to get the flashlight and go to the barn to flip them back on. The electricity wasn't the only problem. We had an answering machine that never recorded any messages. Sometimes the light would be blinking, and when we'd push play, it was nothing but static. This was before DVR, and we worked a lot of nights, so we would try to record our shows, but it never worked, just static and white noise. We also found it odd that pictures never turned out in or around the house. We went through 13 rolls of film before finally giving up. The first time we realised we were dealing with more than just bad wiring was about four weeks after we moved in. As we were heading to the garage, we came to a dead stop. There was a man standing in our garage. He just stood there and was completely oblivious when we screamed. My friend slammed the door and locked it, and called out to the man that we had a gun and were calling the cops. She retrieved said gun, and we opened the door again. The man was gone, just poof, vanished. With that garage, there were only two ways in, a door through from the kitchen, or an automatic door outside. The automatic door was very noisy, so we would have heard it open, and we had been in the kitchen all morning, so there was no way he got in that way. We were baffled, but went about life like normal. That incident seemed to open the floodgates, because after that, it became really obvious that we were dealing with something not of this world. We used to hear the sound of a baby crying, 
followed by the sound of a rocking chair up in the attic. We investigated and found nothing. Certain spots would always remain cold. Cold is not something you come across in Virginia in the summer. Numerous times we woke up to find all the contents of the pantry on the floor. There were dozens of other odd things that happened, but I'm just highlighting some of the more bizarre ones. As things began to escalate, we got more and more nervous. The pinnacle was when we were sitting in the kitchen one night, playing cards and waiting for some guests to arrive. Naturally, the lights went out, so we went out to trip the breaker. When we came out of the barn, we saw our friend running up the steps of the porch with a baseball bat. When we asked what he was doing, he told us that he saw a man standing in our living room, then walk up the stairs. Scared, we crowded behind him and searched the house with a bat and a gun. Nothing. About two weeks after that, my roommate's boss asked her why she never returned his call about switching a shift. She said that she hadn't got any messages, and he proceeded to tell her about the man that answered the phone and told her we were out. Upon further investigation, we discovered that several other people had the same experience when they called. We were thoroughly freaked out by this time, so we decided to ask some of the town's residents about the house. We found out that the house was always vacant within six months of it being rented out. Although we were scared, we still stayed because of how cheap it was. One evening we were in the living room watching TV when we heard a huge thud against the basement door. When I say thud, I mean the whole wall shook and the door frame came loose. The door was locked, but we were scared and put a chair against it. We could hear growling on the other side and claws on the door, so we again got the gun. We figured at first that a wild animal must have gotten in there, so we went outside to check the entrance. It was bolted shut. We even checked the tiny windows. Nothing broken. We finally went back into the house and opened the basement door. Nothing there. I've never seen claw marks like that before or since. It was as if whatever had done it only had three toes. Besides, nothing that was indigenous to the area was three-toed or could have gotten in there without opening the door or breaking the window. Not to mention, none of the local animals, say a bear, could have exerted that much force to warp a door frame. We moved a week later. We could never really come up with any idea of what happened in that house or why. To this day, it remains a mystery. And to this day, nobody lives there for more than six months before leaving. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. If you enjoyed it, make sure to give it a thumbs up and also subscribe to the channel, ensuring you hit that bell so that you never miss out on a video. So, until next time, sleep tight. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.